everyone, we're going to get started. Please find your hymn books and please turn to 349. Please and thank you if you have hymn books. 349, glory to his name. We'll all stand together and sing as loud as we can. We are singing the, our Lord's name. Bring Amen. praises to it. So let's do it loud and proud, right? Excited. Put a smile on that face. Today will be a day for the Lord. All right.
And uh, what we do for the, through this song is once we reach the uh, chorus, wave the answer back. When we sing, wave the answer back to heaven by the grace we will. We're going to take our Bibles and we're going to wave in the air because wave the answer back to heaven. What's the answer? The word of God. Amen. So uh, that's something uh, remember when Pastor started, but we're just uh, upholding what um, somebody started and glorifying the Lord as we do it. <laughs> All right, we'll sing together. Hold the fort. Sometimes as Christians, we live our lives as though we are losing the battle, as though we're losing the fight. But it says, what's it say? In our mighty, uh, hang on, I lost my place. I had it, and then I got up here and started talking. In our leader's name, there we go, we triumph over every fault. Amen. It is through our faith and the strength of our Savior, Jesus Christ, we can have victory in this life. Amen. And Christians, we need to keep fighting. Verse 4, yeah, it's a, it's a raging battle. It's a long battle. And it's a difficult fight. But we need to keep on pressing forward for Him. Yeah, Let's sing those last two verses one more time. 
and hold the fort for our Lord Jesus Christ, because he's Amen. worth every uh, every speck of we are. Yes, he is. All right. Amen. All we'll do. Verse 3 and verse 4? You got it. That's right. All right. Verse 3 and verse 4. Please and thank you. Because it does hold the answer to all of life's Amen. problems, Amen. all of life's trials, every situation we come across that we don't have an answer for, God does have an answer yes. for. Amen. And He has it right here in His foremost, starting with the problem of our eternal soul, of our eternal destiny. He has the answer in here, and I'm thankful for that. Uh, you know. This week we have grown every night, and clearly tonight is no exception because I've seen some chairs being lugged out. Amen. That's exciting. That is a Amen. blessing. I thank you all for being here. I know we have some folks from the community here in Unity. We have folks from all over. I'd leave someone out. I know we got some from Palermo, Second Baptist, and Cornerstone Bible Baptist. And I don't see any Churchill folks tonight, but we do have South Liberty Baptist and Scott Niebermont. What's the name of your church, Brother Peterman? Open Bible Baptist Church. Open Bible Baptist Church. And, uh, Dover at New Life Baptist Church. I should remember them. I almost missed them for the second time, and they're the ones whose <laughs> tent we're under. So we're thankful for them and for them coming out. It's just been a blessing. It has truly been a blessing this week. Amen. And uh, I can't say enough about what God has been doing 
and no doubt what he'll continue to do tonight. The last couple nights we've heard about was the troubled heart and the troubled home. And uh, they were messages that were very much needed. I, I only have about two days of recollection, so go back and listen to the live streams to get the names of the first two sermons. Uh, but they've all been a blessing and have been needful. And I know God's been working in my heart, and no doubt, prayerfully, if he's working in my heart, he's working in other hearts as well. And uh, uh, I'm just thankful for the Thren family. They are always a blessing when they come. This is our third year having them, second year under the tent, and God has been working each year, and uh, we look forward to next year too, but not yet. I think it's going to be next year. I know. We'll Amen. Need to keep, we're, we just got to get more chairs. That's what we're going to have to do. Bigger so. tent. I was going to say bigger, bigger tent. I think we could put an addition on the tent. <laughs> Perfect. We will put an addition on the tent. All right. Well, I don't want to take up too much time, but again, thank you for coming. I pray you've come prepared for what God wants to do in our hearts. And as I said last night, if there's something in you, ask the Holy Spirit to just search your heart and to reveal anything that might hinder God working tonight in the service. Uh, I don't want to be an Achan. I don't want to hinder what God wants to do. And I, I believe that no one here wants to do that. Or maybe you don't even realize it. So... Just encourage you, while the friend family sings, consider each, you consider your hearts. I'm going to consider my heart, what God needs to do tonight in me and preparing myself for that. Uh, Brother friend, you ready? Your family ready? I'm going to have you guys come and sing. Thank you. Looking forward to it. Oh, hang on. No, we're not. No, we're not. Sorry. We're going to take up an offering. Do you guys wave, throw something at me? I am terrible about remembering the offering. Uh, we're going to take up a love offering for the friend family. They have a few mouths to feed and drive a big bus and van and truck and trailer. Do you still have the camper, too? Yes, sir. And camper all over the place, uh, and I think it was Sunday, I pointed out the fuel costs right now, the fuel prices, it's expensive, and as the fuel prices go up, so do the food prices, so do the prices on everything, and uh, you know, I know they've got a, a bus being worked on right now, fixing brakes on the pickup, you know, it's, it's a costly ministry to be in, and we want to be a blessing to them, so I encourage you, if you can, if you're able, uh, to contribute, great, but don't feel obligated. If you're a visitor, if you're a guest, don't feel obligated. Uh, we're just glad to have you here. We're not trying to take your money, I promise. Uh, you just do whatever God leads you to do. But I'll go ahead and pray for the offering tonight, and then the boys can take that up. Our Heavenly Father, you've been so good to us already this week. And through the singing, and Lord, as much as we love the singing, most important part is the preaching of your word. And Lord, I am thankful for the messages we've heard this week, the Bible messages. I'm thankful for you using Brother Mark and his family to minister to us, to minister to our hearts. And I'm thankful for the work that you have already done and accomplished in the lives of those who've been here. Father, I pray as this is our last night of the meeting. I pray that you would make no exception tonight, but that you will do a great and a mighty work through your word. 
Lord, I pray hearts are and will be softened in preparation for the preaching of your word. And Father, if there is one here tonight, more than one, praise the Lord, but even if there is just one here tonight that doesn't know you as their personal Savior, I pray that today would be the day of salvation for them. I pray that they would be convicted of their sin and their need of a Savior. I pray that you would draw them to yourself. Lord, I pray that they put pride aside, they would put their sin aside, that they would put whatever it is that is causing them to hesitate, their family, their friends, whatever it might be that is hindering them trusting you as their personal Savior. Lord, I pray they'd put it all aside and they would call on you to be their personal Savior. They'd place their faith and trust in you. And Lord, if there are Christians here tonight that have some sin, some something in their life that is hurting them, and their walk with you, their relationship with you, then God, I pray you'd convict them of it and they would make a change, Lord. I pray you would accomplish your will and your way tonight. And Lord, all the things I've prayed for all the folks here, I pray for myself as well. That, Lord, you'd accomplish your work in me. Lord, we ask you to bless this offering. We pray you'll multiply it. You'll use it for your honor and your glory to accomplish what only you can do. And Father, we ask these things and pray them in the name of your precious Son, Jesus Christ. tremendous. It's all been a blessing. Um, so I just want to say thank you to everyone who's had a hand in every part of this week. Um, the music, of course, the friend family are always a blessing. And the reason we have them here every year is, well, one, because we love them. Uh, they come here and they just fit in so well and it's like they're, they just become a part of our church family, a part of our family for the week they're here. And uh, we love them because of the testimony that they have, as I said last night, from mom and dad right down to the kids and their sincere love for the Lord and their walk with him and their service to him. And it's my heart for my family that that would be the case and for the families in our church that we would genuinely love the Lord Amen. from mom and dad right down to the kids and that we would all strive to live for him and serve him. And this family is a great example of that. So I'm thankful for you guys as well taking the time as you're busy and traveling and, and ministering in other places, but I'm thankful that you guys take the time to be here with us as well. So.
So, all right, now we're ready for you. Good to see everyone, and uh, I do want to say, I, I know I mentioned last night, but I want to mention it again, this is our last night of the meeting, uh, I sure appreciate uh, Pastor, thank you for having us, and uh, church family, and other churches that have been involved in the meeting, uh, you've been a real blessing uh, to us, and, and it's just been good to meet together and meet with God, Amen. And, uh, so we pray that... Uh, meeting, even though the meeting's coming to an end, we pray that the work that God is doing will continue. Absolutely. And uh, so, uh, we're going to sing a few tonight, and uh, this one was request, requested, and uh, so we're going to sing this one, it's entitled Every Hallelujah. <laughs> Thank you. 
makes you nervous, then heaven's going to make you nervous. I know I'm in Maine, but we can still praise God up here. The Bible defines praise as the fruit of our lips. So praise doesn't happen in your heart. It happens in your mouth. Amen. And worship's in the heart comes out as praise. And uh, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. That's what the scripture says. So, all right, well, see the Colburns here tonight. Amen. And I can't see them without thinking about this song. And so we're going to sing it tonight. I'm amazed. Set me free. I am amazed at what He did for me. 
that he loved me, amazed that he saved me, and uh, as I said earlier this week, I'm amazed that he keep me. Yeah. And this one we've sang, I don't know, once or twice already this week, but somebody got a blessing out of it, so we'll sing it again. I'm thankful that the Lord faithful and that what he promised to do he will do Amen. and the work that he finished or that he started he will finish mm. uh, that's kind of what this song talks about <coughs> he will hold you fast
there's a lot that I don't know. And, and you're probably saying, yeah, we figured that out already. There's a lot I don't know, but I do know that when this life is over, that heaven's my home. Amen. And um, why don't you listen to this, the words of this song. And if you don't know that, you can know that before you leave tonight. Amen. You can know that you know that you know that you're going to heaven when you die. Amen. The Bible makes that promise. It says, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that you have eternal life. Amen. And so what a wonderful promise that is. And uh, you listen to this song uh, entitled, I Know I'll Be There.
Aren't you thankful for that promise? Amen. Aren't you thankful for that knowledge? Amen. And it's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. And uh, the one thing that we all have in common, you know, we're all different. We have different personalities and different tastes and different origins as far as where we're from. But the one thing we all have in common is we're all sinners and we all need a Savior. And I'm thankful uh, that uh, Christ didn't just come to die for a certain elect few. I'm glad that he died for the sins of the world. And uh, if, if you're here tonight and you are under this burden, this weight of sin, you can be forgiven. And that's what you need. You need forgiveness. And you can't earn forgiveness. Forgiveness is not earned. It's through the mercy of God that we have forgiveness. Through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, he's given us, he's offered us something that we don't deserve. And that's eternal life. Yeah. And that's forgiveness of sins. Um, and all you have to do is receive it. A gift, you don't have to do anything to earn a gift. A gift is given freely. And uh, salvation is the gift of God. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. And you wonder, why Why am I getting older? Why, why, why do people die? Because of sin. Yeah. And um, the end of this life is just the beginning of eternity. Yeah. And uh, if, if you die in your sins, you will spend eternity in the lake of fire. Yeah. Separated from God. Separated from all your loved ones. Separated from any comfort. And uh, I don't tell you that to, uh, uh, to be mean. I tell you that because I'm your friend. And the Lord, listen, I believe with all my heart, you're here tonight to hear the message of the gospel, give you an opportunity to be saved. Yeah. Uh, the Lord is sending a message tonight, and that message is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You say, what is the gospel? Well, the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're, we're, uh, I, I count September 1st as the beginning of fall. And so I feel like this is the first day of fall. <laughs> and, um, and, 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 and I always get excited the first day of fall. I love the fall season, and I love the Christmas in the air, and we've got the Christmas tonight, <laughs> don't we? And, uh, and, and, I, and I, I start looking forward to Christmas. I like Christmas. And uh, I'm, I, I know I look all somber and, you know, stodgy. But I'm like a kid on Christmas morning. Let me tell you, I like Christmas. People, uh, they and people like Christmas, and we think about Jesus and him coming as a baby on Christmas Day. But you do realize that he came to die. That that baby in the manger did not come so we could have a nice Christmas morning. He came for the purpose of dying. And uh, the, the, the purpose of his death was to pay for our sins, Amen. to pay for your sins. And he did so on the cross of Calvary. He paid for every wrong thing that you've ever done. Mm -hmm. Everything you've ever done, every wrong thing that you ever will do, Jesus paid for on that cross. Right and uh, as a result, listen, he offers to us 
gift of eternal life. He died on the cross. He was buried. But he rose again three days later. And, uh, you know, the importance of the resurrection is it's the proof that his sacrifice was sufficient. When Jesus rose from the dead, that was God's stamp of approval upon the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross of Calvary. And it was acceptable. When Jesus cried, it is finished, that means he, he finished the work of paying for the sins of the world. And so if, if you die in your sins and you go to hell and spend eternity in the lake of fire, you will have done so unnecessarily because Jesus paid for our sins. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I'm so glad he did. I'm so glad he did. And it's so good to know that heaven is my home. And uh, I just thank God for that. Well, that wasn't the message. <laughs> I just felt impressed to spend a few minutes on the gospel. But we're going to be in the book of Job this evening, Job chapter 1. Now, one good thing about this being the last night of the meeting is I can preach as long as I want to and not have to worry about you not know, coming back tomorrow night. So, Amen. some of you are laughing, some of you are scared. You know? there's, a, there's a fine line between a, a long sermon and a hostage situation. Remember? And so I'm going to try not to hold you hostage tonight, but I do want to deliver the message to you that God has given me. Amen. And so... We're in the book of Job. Now, I know we've been in the, in the life of John the Baptist this week, uh, but God has kind of uh, switched directions on us tonight. And the book of Job is a book that I just finished studying uh, in the month of July. And, uh, and, and God brought a, a passage back to my mind today. And uh, in our conversation, the pastor and I had breakfast, and our boys had breakfast this morning. And something he said... Uh, just uh, God used to kind of uh, get me on this path. And so I, I want to look at a big subject tonight, and I'm going to try to go through it as quickly as possible. Uh, but this is the title of my message tonight. Why did Job suffer? Why did Job suffer? And when we think of Job, really his name is synonymous with suffering. Um, uh, those of us who have an understanding of the Bible and, and of this man, of his life, and he was a real person. This is not a, a fictional story. This really took place, and there really was a man named Job, and, uh, and he, he went through all of these things. And, uh, and he had a question that all of us have when we go through hardship. Why? And he asked the question all through the book. And I believe that God gave him the answer, and I want us to look at that tonight uh, as quickly as we can. We're in Job chapter 1. And so stand with us uh, if you're able. And I'm going to read chapter 1. It's 22 verses. And so, but they're, they're fairly short, and I'll read fairly quick, okay? Job chapter 1, verse number 1. The Bible says, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. I heard one preacher say, That's the land of Uz, not the land of Oz. Amen? <laughs> it's a real story. It really happened. And that man was perfect and upright, and one that feared God and eschewed evil. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. 
His substance also was 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen and 500 she-asses and a very great household, so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. And his sons went and feasted in their houses every one his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them, and rose up early in the morning, and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made an hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. And there was a day when, the sons, uh, when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And there came a messenger unto, unto Job, and said, The oxen were plowing, and the asses feeding beside them. And the Sabians fell upon them, and took, took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another, and said, The fire of God is fallen from heaven and hath burned up the sheep and the servants, and consumed them, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another, and said the Chaldeans made out three bands, and fell upon the camels, and have carried them away, yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another, and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in, thy eldest in their eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness, and smote the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young men, and they are dead. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Then Job arose, and rent his mantle, and shaved his head, and fell down upon the ground, and worshipped. And said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Let's pray. Pastor uh, Peterman, would you take us to the Lord in prayer, please?
I'm not going to take a lot of time to recap what we've read. I trust that you have processed a lot of what we've read concerning the trials of Job. But suffice to say that Job, in this, in, in one day, Job has lost pretty much everything that he has held dear to himself. And uh, his, his, uh, all of his livelihood is, has been taken away. His children have died. In chapter 2, which we have not read, but in chapter 2 we'll see that uh, Job's wife is at the point of such grief that she counsels him to just curse God and die. In, ch in chapter 2, Job will also uh, lose his health. And so there's so much that Job suffered. There's so much that he went through. And uh, when you're suffering, you tend to ask the question, why? And I think it's, uh, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with asking that question. Um, there are purposes that God has, and sometimes God will give us the answer to that question, and sometimes he doesn't. Yeah. But I believe as we look at Job's life and we get the full picture of what God is trying to do in Job's life, I believe not only will we see how God helped Job to achieve something that he did not have before, but we'll also see how God uses suffering in our lives to bring us to a point at a place that we've never been to before. Yeah. And so I want to look at this, and, and you know, there's a lot of questions. Lot would uh, assume different things of why Job suffered. Uh, Job's friends made it real clear why they thought he suffered. Mm -hmm. And in chapter 4, if you want to turn over there, in chapter 4 and verses 7 and 8, this is the first reply of the first friend, Eliphaz. This is what he says in chapter 4, verse 7. Remember, I pray thee, whoever perished being innocent, or where were the righteous cut off? Even as I have seen, they that plow iniquity and sow wickedness reap the same. So I think it's pretty clear what Eliphaz thought and his friends thought. As you read the book of Job, they think that Job is suffering because Job had sinned. And that Job had done something wicked. Uh, 14 times in the book of Job, his friends will indirectly accuse him of wickedness. And uh, I, I was talking with Rachel. I said, I said, Job's friends would have been masters at Facebook. <laughs> because they, they did everything but say Job's name. And so, you know, they just make these, these blanket statements. And they just happen. These statements that they're making just happen to apply to Job. And, uh, and, you know, uh, everybody knows what's going on in our lives except us. 
Amen. Yeah. And uh, and so the friends they thought he had sinned, but the Lord makes it clear that Job is not going through this suffering because of sin. And uh, look in chapter two with me, if you will. We're going to be looking throughout this book of Job, but in chapter two. The, the first part, it tells us that Satan goes to present himself before God again. And look at verse number 3. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil, and still he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest me against him, to destroy him. Look at those last two words of the verse. Without cause. Without cause. He says, listen, what's going on in Job's life is not uh, because he's done something wrong. And uh, Job himself makes mention in chapter 9, if you'll turn over there, look at chapter 9 and verse 17. Job says this, For he breaketh me with a tempest and multiplieth my wounds without cause. And so Job uh, really says exactly what God is saying. And, and in chapter 40, 42, look with me there. Look at chapter 42, the very end of the book. And in verse number 7, it says this, And it was so that after the Lord had spoken these words unto Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is kindled against thee and against thy two friends, for ye have not spoken of me the thing that is right, as my, uh, as my servant Job hath. And so I think we can see that uh, Job is saying, I, I didn't do anything to bring this on me. And the Lord is saying, you're right. This is not, you're not suffering because of some sin. Now, let me, let me pause here and say this. That does not mean that we don't suffer because of sin. Sure, right. Because we do suffer because of sin. As a matter of fact, all suffering... And all pain is a direct result. The root of it all is sin. Before sin entered the world, there was no suffering. There was no pain. There was no sickness. There was none of that. And so sin was the root cause. But listen, it's not, that does not mean that every time a person suffers, it's because of some sin that they have committed. And so when we think about why did Job suffer, well, it was not because... He had sinned. It was not something in his life that he had brought upon himself. And, and then others might say, well, uh, he suffered so uh, because the Lord was trying to prove a point to Satan. And, you know, you look at it and you think, well, that's kind of looks like it's the way that it came about. Uh, Satan presents himself before the Lord and the Lord says, hey, have you considered my servant Job? Now, Satan had, had definitely considered his servant Job because Job was a thorn in Satan's side because he lived godly. And anything righteous and godly and, and, and right and pure, the devil hates. And he's going to try to destroy. And so, and so you know, that's kind of how the story went as we read it. It's really fascinating. The book of Job is fascinating in a lot of different ways. But the fact that we get to look into the throne room of God and see this interaction between Satan and the Lord. It's really, really, really unique. And so we say, well, well, the Lord, and, and the Lord was, he was the one who brought Job into the conversation. 
And, and he says, have you considered Job? And, and Satan said, well, yeah, well, uh, he's just serving you because you're so good to him. You make it easy for him to serve you. You make it easy for him to love you. And you know what? I'd have to say, the Lord does make it easy for me to love him. He's a good God. He's good to each and every one of us. Is that why he hasn't been good to me? You're breathing. That means he's good to you. Amen. And so, and so, yeah, and, 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 the, and so the, the, the devil, Satan presents this idea to the Lord that he's just, Job is just serving you because you're good to him. He's serving you because you have a hedge around him and I can't get to him. But if you let me in that hedge and if you just uh, allow me to touch his life or, or and he, he mentions, he says, put forth thine hand now and touch him and see, he'll curse you to your face. And so, and so the Lord gives him permission. And so there, we could get the idea that the Lord allowed Job to suffer just to prove a point to, to, to Satan. But I don't believe it's that at all. And this is why God doesn't play games with our lives. Amen. They're, they're, the, the devil may use people as pawns in his game, but the, the Lord does not do that. He cares about us too much to use us in a game. And so that's not the purpose. There's something else that God is wanting to do. Some would say, well, maybe uh, the Lord just wanted to humble Job and make him poor. Well, I don't believe that's the fact because at the end of the book, Job has more than what he started with. And so God wasn't trying to make him poor. And then you say, well, maybe that must mean that, that the Lord was trying to increase Job. And while he did increase Job, that was not the purpose of this trial. That was not the purpose of this suffering. There was something greater that the Lord was wanting to do in his life. And, and I, I want to answer the question with three words tonight, okay? Now it's going to take me a while to say those three words. But three words I want us to think about. The first word I want us to think about is realization. Realization. Look with me in, in Job chapter 9. God wanted to bring Job to a place of realization. Look at chapter 9. Look at verse number 1. The Bible says, Then Job answered and said, I know it is so of a truth, but how should man be just with God? Now that's a big question, isn't it? You know what he's saying? How can man be at peace with God? How can man be acceptable to God? How can man be just with God? How can he be uh, on an equal standing or, or a place of, of, uh, of a communion, a place that they can meet together? He says in verse 3, If he will contend with him, he cannot answer him one of a thousand. If the, if the Lord gave us a thousand riddles, we couldn't get one of them right. That's how much... Uh, higher his wisdom is than ours as the heavens are above the earth so are his thoughts above our thoughts and his ways above our ways he's wiser than us he's more powerful than us and 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 man listen man cannot uh, uh job is saying I, I i can't i can't attain where he is verse four he said he is wise in heart and mighty in strength who hath hardened himself against him and hath, and hath prospered 
He's saying God is so so much greater than me. And, and the Lord is using these sufferings to bring Job to the realization of that fact. That he is great and, and that Job cannot attain to him on his own. Now, look down in verse number 20. Job says, If I justify myself, mine own mouth shall condemn me. If I say I am perfect, it shall also prove me perverse. Now listen, remember, Job, Job's not, he's not a bad guy. He's not a wicked guy. As a matter of fact, the Lord says he's the best that I have. Job is the best man on the earth in God's estimation. Again, the only estimation that matters. And yet Job has come to a realization. He said, listen, I can't justify myself. I can't declare myself to be good or righteous. He said, if I justify myself, mine own mouth shall condemn me. If I say I'm perfect, it shall prove me perverse. I'd be wrong to say that I'm perfect. I'd be wrong to say that I'm justified. I'd be wrong to say that I'm all set. <laughs> God is using this suffering in Job's life to bring about a realization. Now, though Job is a, is a good man, he's realizing that he falls short. Now look down at verse number 30 of Job 9. If I wash myself with snow water and make my hands never so clean, yet shall thou plunge me in the ditch, and mine own clothes shall abhor me. For he is not a man as I am, that I should answer him, and we should come together in judgment. Neither is there any daysman betwixt us that might lay his hand upon us both. Let him take his rod away from me, and let not his fear terrify me. Then would I speak and not fear him. But it is not so with me. Mm. You know what Job is saying? I cannot approach to God. I cannot get to God. I cannot attain to commune with him. I am not as good as he is. I am not as wise as he is. I am not as powerful as he is. God is afar off for me. I cannot reach him. And he, he realizes that there is, there is, there's a problem. And he, he uses this word in verse 33. Neither is there any daysman between us, betwixt us, that might lay his hand upon us both. You know what Job is realizing? He's realizing that he cannot reach God. That as good as he is, he needs somebody to get him to God. And God is pure, and God is holy, and God is not a man. Now, it doesn't mean he's a woman. It just means he's not mankind. We may be created in his image, but he, we are not like him. Right. He is separate. He is holy. Amen. He is high. Amen. And we can't reach him. He is lofty. And we can't get to him. And Job is saying, I can't get to him. I need somebody to go between us. 
I need someone to lay his hand on God. And I need someone to lay his hand on me and bring us together. Now, it's, it's not coincidence that God chose the best man he knew to bring to this point. Because if Job, who is a perfect man, upright, fears God, eschews evil, and that means he hates evil, if Job can't get to God on his own, then you're not getting to God on your own. Job is coming to a realization that God cannot be reached. Now look at Job 23. Look at Job 23, and look what he says here in verse number 3. Job 23, and look look at verse 23. Or verse 3, sorry. Chapter 23, verse 3. This is what he says. Oh, that I knew where I might find him. That I might come even to his seat. You see the exclamations there? You hear the heart's cry of Job. He said, I just want to get to God. Because these things that are happening in my life, I don't understand. I don't know why I'm suffering these things. I don't know why I'm going through these things. And I just want an answer. You ever been there? I just want to know. And I'm trying to reach to God, but I can't get to him. I don't even know where to find him. Look what he says in verse 4. I would order my cause before him and fill my mouth with arguments. So he says, I want to talk with this thing, uh, talk about this thing with God. Because I have questions and I have arguments. I know we're so spiritual, we would never argue with God. But Job is struggling. Job, what he has went through, we don't even really comprehend what he has gone through. But notice God is using these things to bring about a realization in Job's life. Can I say this? God will use suffering in our lives to get us to realization. You think, well, that sounds cruel. No, because what God wants to give us is better than what he's taken away. We just don't see it yet. We just don't understand it yet. And so, Job, let's let's continue reading here in chapter 23. He said, I would know the words which he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. Will he plead against me with his great power? No, but he would put strength in me. Even though Job's going through this, there's a there's a underline of faith in his heart. He still believes in the goodness of God. Yeah. And he said, if I could just talk to him, if he would just talk to me, he would put strength in me. Because I'm weak right now. And I'm hurting right now. And I don't know how to handle this right now. I just need to get to him. Look at verse 7. There the righteous might dispute with him. So should I be delivered forever from my judge. Behold, I go forward, but he is not there. And backward, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand, where he doth work, but I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand, that I cannot see him. You know what he's saying? I'm looking everywhere for God. 
and I can't find him. Now listen, we, we have to understand a couple things. Number one, we have to understand our context. Job doesn't have a Bible. Job doesn't have the Holy Spirit. He said, what does Job have? All Job has is, the, is creation around him. And a bunch of friends that think they're speaking for God. That's what Job has. And he feels isolated. He feels like he just wants to know where God is. Now, even, even now, in our day, we've got the Bible. If we're saved, we've got the Holy Spirit. And still sometimes it feels like you can't find God. Why? Why would God God hide himself? Why would God not allow us to, to, to understand his presence or understand his will or understand his works? God is doing something in us. He's doing something in us that can only happen through suffering. He's saying, preacher, this is an odd message for a tent meeting. Well, it's the one God gave me. (laughs) So I know that somebody needs it. I know that. So Job, he's looking everywhere for God, and he can't find him. But yet, listen, this is not the only thing that Job realizes. So he's realizing that he needs God, and he can't get to God on his own. And, but, but look also in chapter 35. Look at chapter 35. Job 35. And look at verse 14. This is instruction given to him by Elihu, who is not one of the original three. And God has no rebuke for this man. At the end, I believe God used this man to help Job. Look at verse 14. He said, Although thou sayest, or although thou, yeah, although thou sayest, thou shalt not see him, yet judgment is before him, therefore trust thou in him. You know what he's saying? Job, even though you, you say, I can't see God. And Job couldn't see God. And even though you can't, you can't get to where God is and you don't understand what God's doing, trust him. He knows what he's doing. Amen. In chapter 23, we stopped reading in verse 9. But in, in, in verse 10, it says this. He gets talking about how he can't find God anywhere. In verse 10, he says, but he knoweth the way that I take. Listen, it's not important that everybody else know the way you take. I think you need to just process that for a minute. Mm -hmm. It's not important that everyone else know the way you take. And it's not even important for you to know the way you take. He knows the way. Remember the old Sunday school song? My Lord knows the way through the wilderness. All I have to do is follow. That's it. Listen, trust Thou in Him. Amen. He has a plan, and it's a good plan. Yeah. Yes. 
He has a purpose, and it's a good purpose. Now listen, when, when, when God said that Job was, was suffering without cause, he didn't say without purpose. There's a difference. There is a purpose that God is trying to fulfill in Job's life. And you see, you see this developing all through the book of Job. What, why is Job suffering? Why is Job, why is God allowing these things? Why is God using these things? There is something that God wants to do in Job's life. Again, that is more important than what Job had before. Yeah. Now, watch what takes place here. He, he tells him, he encourages him to trust him. Now, Look in Job 23. Now, we said that Job, even when he was questioning, there was a heart that wanted to believe. There was a heart that was trying to understand and trying to know what God, uh, what, what God was doing. Uh, chapter 19, not 23. Job 19. Look at verse 21. Job is speaking here. And he says, Have pity upon me. Have pity upon me, O ye my friends. For the hand of God hath touched me. Why do you persecute me as God and are not satisfied with my flesh? Oh, that my words were now written. Oh, that they were printed in a book. I think Job got his prayer request, don't you? Yeah. Amen? Amen. Now, he didn't think God was hearing him, but God was hearing him. Amen. Look at verse 24. That they were graven with an iron pen and led in the rock forever. He even got that prayer request answered. Because his words that he wrote and he spoke are forever settled in heaven because they're part of God's word. Amen. Now, look at verse 25. For I know, I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. You know what, Job? He not only realized that he needed God, and he realized that he couldn't find God on his own, but he realized that one day he was going to see God. Yeah. He realized he had a faith, and he understood that, listen, God has not forsaken me. Maybe I'm going through some hardship, and, and I'm going through some trials, and I'm going through, through some things that I wished had not happened, but I believe in my heart that God has a purpose, and I believe that one day I'll see him. Tremendous passage of scripture Amen. in an Old Testament uh, book. Yeah. Before any of the other Bible was written, Job's life is such a testimony to the power of God. Yeah. And Job says this, I know that my Redeemer lives. You know what a Redeemer is? That's someone that buys you back. Right. Someone that rescues you, purchases you, redeems. That's a word, that's, that's a word that we use for salvation. We sing it in our hymns, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Job understood that he was going to that, that that he had a redeemer 
and that he was going to see that Redeemer one day. I believe that the Lord brought this about in Job's life as a result of his suffering. So there's realization, but the next word I want us to think about is the word revelation. Now look in chapter 42. Job chapter 42. Job 42, look at verse 1. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything, and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not. Things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. Notice the past tense. Knew not. Here I beseech thee, and I will speak, I will demand of thee, and declare thou unto me. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Revelation. You know what God did through Job's suffering? He revealed himself to Job. You say, well, Job knew God already. He feared God. Uh, he lived a, a godly life. He knew God already. Not like he knows him now. Not like he knows him now. He, sa he said, you know, th these were things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. You know what that means? He knows them now. How does he know them? Through what he went through. How God revealed himself to Job. If you're ever going to have the relationship with God that you need, and the relationship that he desires. You will have to come to realization of that need, and you're going to have to get to a point where God reveals himself to you personally. Personally. God brought Job to, to this, this place, and... and how he got him there, the vehicle that he used to get Job to have a, to, to really know God was his suffering. So when you when you ask the question, why did Job suffer? So that he could see God. Mm -hmm. That's good. So that he could see God as he truly is. Mm -hmm. Everybody has some idea, and their own idea, most of us, of who God is. But when you meet him yourself, when you see him yourself, and I'm not talking about seeing him with these eyes. I'm talking about seeing him through the pages of that book, through the precious Holy Spirit of God within you. And God reveals himself to you in a way that he has not before. It'll be worth whatever you had to go through to get to that point. Yeah. That's good. Now here's, here's our problem in Western civilization where we are so privileged. 
We have everything so good that we have no need of God. You say, well, you said that last night. Well, it's still true. We are so fat with the blessings of God that as long as we get the blessings, we don't care whether we ever meet the blesser. And so the concept of suffering in order to know God is so foreign to our minds. It's so foreign to our thinking. We can't even grasp it. We, we don't even understand. What do you mean i got to suffer in order to know God better? I'm saying that there are things that God will do in our lives through suffering that cannot be accomplished any other way. We all want the comfort of God. You know you have to be uncomfortable before you can be comforted? Yeah, true. true. We all, we, listen, we all want to experience the great resurrection. You know you got to be dead before you can be alive again? Yeah. Yeah. Before you're resurrected? Amen. We, want to know, we want to know the fellowship with God. Well, the Bible talks about the fellowship of His sufferings. Yeah. You say, preacher, you're not going to get many converts preaching this. I know it's the truth. And the truth will make you free. Amen. The truth will make you free. Job sees God in a way that he had never seen him before. He says, I've heard of you, the hearing of the ear. We talk about God. Matter of fact, Job's friends talked about God the whole time. And when you read, when you read through the book of Job and you start reading what his friends are saying, it's, it really sounds right. And in many cases it is right, just wrongly applied. But everybody has their idea of who God is and what God, uh, how God operates and what he wants to accomplish in our life. Everybody knows about God. But how many people know God? They know about God. Well, you, we can take you to the book and show you what God is like. But do you know him? Do you know him? Job learned about God through what he went through, through his sufferings. We want to know his power, but you've got to be weak before you know his power. You want to know his provision, but you have to be in want before you can know his provision. So this word revelation is an important word when we consider why God allowed Job to suffer. He wanted Job to see him. He wanted Job to know him. From the beginning of time, what God has desired from man is fellowship. He wants to fellowship with us. Before he wants our service, before he wants our commitment, before he wants our tithes or our church attendance 
or anything else. He wants our fellowship. He wants to walk with you and talk with you. He wants to commune with your soul. He wants you to know Him. Look at 2 Corinthians, if you will. 2 Corinthians. I'm really concerned. I'm really concerned how many people sitting in church do not know God. I'm not even talking about they're not saved. Although there's plenty in churches who are not saved. They've never met the Lord. But there are believers, I believe, filling our churches. They have no understanding of what it means to walk with God. They have no clue. No clue. I'm not trying to fuss at you. I'm trying to get you to see there's a better way to live for God. There is a better life available than just, oh, well, I've got to do this, and I've got to do that, and I've got to do this, and, you know, if I don't do this, then the preacher's going to be upset. If I don't do this, then my wife's going to rat me out, and if I don't do this, the kids are going to tell on me. Well, if, if, if that's all the, 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 the Christian life that you're living, there's so much more. Amen. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul, great Christian, think Job was the best during his time. I think Paul was the best during his time. This is what God allowed in Paul's life. 2 Corinthians 12, look at verse number 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure... Through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me. That sounds a lot like what Job was going through, doesn't it? Why? Lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. You know what he's saying? There is grace and there is strength strength that is available to you through suffering that you don't get any other way. You know what I've, you know what I've noticed, Pastor? Every servant of God that we've looked at in times past as someone that God has used in a great way, they all suffer. Every one of them. Every one of them. They've suffered. They've suffered. Why is that? It must be that through suffering comes great gain. Paul said, God told Paul, Christ told Paul, there's grace here for you, and there's strength here for you. And and, and the grace and the strength are multiplied in your weakness. People always talking about, oh, I just want to be a strong Christian. I want to be a strong Christian for the Lord. Well, the way to be a strong Christian is to be weak. Because then you'll be made strong in the power of Christ Amen. and not in your own strength. Right. 
the arm of flesh will fail you. Yes, it does. And so many times, God allows suffering and hardship in our life so that we stop depending on ourselves and we start trusting in the limitless, matchless power of Jesus. Amen. He said, my, my strength is made perfect in weakness. Now look at Paul's response to this. Most gladly. Oh, wow. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Amen. Listen, how could, how could suffering be better for me than ease? Because the power of Christ is better for me than my strength. Yeah. That's good. I want the power of Christ to rest upon me. I want my life to make a difference in this world. And I want to have a sweet fellowship with my Father. Amen. This is what he says in verse 10. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. I have not gotten there yet. I don't think Paul enjoyed punishment. It wasn't that. He didn't, he didn't take pleasure in, in the hardship. What he realized is that this hardship is bringing me the power of Christ. This hardship is accessing grace to me. And he says, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Amen. So it doesn't make any sense. God doesn't work on our scale of things. He doesn't fit in our box. He works above and beyond what we can understand and even, and even grasp. But listen, when we submit ourselves to the work of God in our life, even if it's suffering, there is joy. There is joy in serving the Lord. There is joy in fellowship with God. The power of Christ, Christ rests upon it. When I'm weak, then am I strong. This revelation of God in his life and in, in Job's life, it took him to a level that he had not attained before. I'll tell you what bothers me. There's no hunger to attain that level. There's no interest. There's no desire. There's no yearning. There's no longing. We've embraced lukewarmness. And we've taken it to heart. And we have the idea of Hezekiah, as long as there's peace in my day. What about our children's day? What, what are they going to have? Say, so, well, we're going we're gonna to prepare and, you know, we got all this, we got this lined up, and we have provisions made. And all, all of that is nothing without the, the help of God, without the touch of God, without the power of God. The revelation. God 
shows himself to Job. As a matter of fact, beginning in chapter 38 of Job, God will speak to Job himself. And he does so for several chapters. That's what Job wanted. Isn't it? It's what he asked for. An audience with God. And when God starts speaking, listen to Job's response. Go back to Job and look at chapter 40. By this time, the Lord has spoken for two chapters, 38 and 39. And look at chapter 40 of Job. It says, verse 1, Moreover the Lord answered Job and said, Shall he that contended with the Almighty instruct him? He that reproveth God, let him answer it. Remember what Job said, I want to fill my mouth with arguments. I'm going to talk to the Lord about this. Me and the Lord, we've we got, we got to have a conversation. Guess how the conversation went. God spoke for two chapters, and then verse 3 of chapter 40, this is what Job said. Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer thee? I will lay mine hand upon my mouth. Once have I spoken, but I will not, not answer. Yea, twice, but I will proceed no further. That's all he had to say. That was it. Why? Because when God revealed himself to Job, Job was overwhelmed. And that's why I said, I, I've heard about you. And I thought I knew about you. But Lord, what you're showing me now and how you're speaking to my heart now. Now I'm seeing you. The last word I want us to think of is the word reformation. Look at chapter 42 again of Job. We read the first five verses. Let me read verse 5 again. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore... I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. To abhor means to hate extremely. It means to despise. And most importantly, it means to reject. He rejected himself? Yes. Jesus says it this way. In the book of Luke, deny yourself. Deny yourself and follow me. What does that mean? Jesus said, take up your cross. Take up your cross. He said, I thought Jesus died on the cross. He did. He did. He died for all of our sins. And we don't have to pay for any of our sins. Jesus already did that. But we do have a cross. Yeah, yeah. What is that cross? It's suffering. Mm. Take up your cross and follow me. Mm. Now you say, well, what good does suffering do? Well, I sure am glad Jesus did suffer. His suffering did a whole lot of good. Because you and I are on our way to heaven because Jesus took up that cross. 
And I believe with all my heart, if we'll take up our cross and follow him, God will use us too. Job, the best man in the world, after seeing God and realizing how much he needed God, you know what he, his opinion of himself was? I abhor myself. I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Repentance is sorrow for anything done or said. Job had said a lot, hadn't he? You know what he said? Lord, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said those things. I didn't understand. Repentance is the relinquishment of any practice from conviction that it has offended God. You know what he says? I'm going to change my ways. Real repentance is accompanied and followed by amendment of life. Job meeting the Lord and fellowshipping with God, hearing his words, his response to that is he left a changed man. He was not the same Amen. as he was in chapter 1. Amen. Now here's, here's, here's what we, we would look at Job in chapter 1 and say, he's all set. <laughs> That's what we'd say. And maybe you're sitting here tonight and you're saying, well, I'm pretty good. I'm all set. And I'm saying to you, there is a level of fellowship with God that you have not attained yet. There's a level I have not attained yet. But not only do I want that level, I need it. Now listen, if you're here tonight and you're not saved, I gave the gospel at the beginning, but we really heard the gospel again in the message. When, when Job said, I need a daysman. I need someone to go between me and God. Another word for the, the, the word daysman is mediator. A go-between. And the Bible tells us in the book of 1 Timothy, there's one mediator between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus. Amen. You see, Jesus was God. The Son of God. He is God. And so therefore, he can reach God. The Father. But Jesus became man. He took on flesh. So that he could reach man. And in reaching man and reaching God, he reconciled us together. He brought us back together. Amen. In the beginning, God and man walked together in fellowship. But sin broke that fellowship. Our transgressions separated us from God. He said, well, I'm not a sinner. The Bible says, for all have sinned. For all have sinned. Says there's none that uh, there's none good. And then knowing that man will argue, he says, No, not one. No, not one. There's
that seeketh after God. There's none righteous. You cannot reach God by yourself. Not even Job could. And Job said, I, I, God's not a man. I need a daysman to come between us. And Jesus stepped in as the God-man. He reached God and he reached man and he brought them together. And tonight, the message that we preach is that you can have fellowship with God. You can be at peace with God. You can have your sins forgiven. You can know that you're going to heaven when you die. Amen. You do not have to guess at it. You do not have to just roll the dice on it. Jesus Christ paid for all your sins. You can be saved tonight. Amen. And have the assurance that your soul is ready for eternity. Listen, salvation is not the end. It's the beginning. It's the beginning. It's the beginning of the most wonderful relationship you'll ever enter. And from that point, you can start fellowshipping with God. You can start going to God in prayer. You can open His Word, and instead of it just being a book with words on it, it'll be God's voice speaking to your soul. Amen. Let's stand together. Heavenly Father, I've tried to deliver the message that you placed upon my heart. And Lord, there's a depth to what we've heard tonight that in some ways I feel like I haven't even attained myself. But Lord, my heart longs to be closer to you. I long to hear your voice. I long to be a man after your own heart. And so we say along with the songwriter, draw me nearer, nearer, blessed Lord, to the cross where thou hast died. Draw me nearer to you. And Lord, I do believe there are folks here tonight who need to meet you. They need to come into personal contact with you. They've never trusted you as Savior. God, I pray that you would speak to their heart. Mm. You laid the gospel upon my heart so strong tonight. I really truly believe someone here needs to be saved. Mm. And so God, give them the courage to step forward and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray that you would just have your will and way in every heart and the remainder of our evening together. In Jesus' name I pray. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, the altar is open. Folks have come to pray. I invite you to come and pray. How's your walk with God, Christian? Do you fellowship with him? Is your Bible time just something that you get out of the way so you can get on with your day? Or do you hear his voice? Does he speak to you? 
Will you speak to him? Will you pray? Why don't you come and pray? Ask the Lord to draw you near. Sometimes you need to pray that your heart will desire a closer walk with God. You need to pray that God would thaw the coldness out of our hearts. And then if you're here tonight and you're not saved, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And you need to trust him. You need to do it before it's too late. And if you don't understand what that means, we can take the Bible and show you more perfectly what that means. But maybe you're here and you know you're not saved. You know exactly what the gospel is. But you've never trusted Christ. Why don't you get that done tonight? Get that settled tonight. Don't wait. Don't wait. You say, well, I'll just worry about what people think. Don't worry about what they'll think. If they're saved, they'll think, praise God. Amen. And if they're not saved, then I wouldn't go to hell for them. Amen. Amen. Just do business with the Lord as the piano plays. I needed tonight's message. I don't want to elevate 
I'll use myself as an example. Back in December, my dad passed away. And while I get to a place where I'm at terms with it, I can honestly say at times inside, I'm not. And it hurts and I miss him. trying to be the best husband, the best dad, the best son to my mom, the best pastor that I can be. You know, since I've been a pastor, he's been a member of this church, and he's always been there to support, and there's times where it just hurts. But you know, tonight reminds me that there's a reason for suffering. It is to help us to grow to make us better servants, better Christians, because in our weakness, we're made strong. And sometimes I try to be strong in my own strength. And when I do that, I fail. And I get grouchy. But when we just let ourselves be weak, and we just fall on our Savior, then we can truly be strong, and He can truly use us for what He wants to use us for, and make us what He wants to make us. No one raised their hand tonight that they need, need to be saved. So you're here tonight, you're a Christian. Brother Mark said, you might be thinking, I want to be the best Christian. I want to be the strongest Christian that I can be. Well, first you have to let yourself be weak. So that he can make you a strong Christian. We need to stop trying to be strong. And let him make us strong. By relying on him. By getting our face in his word. Getting on our knees communing with him in fellowship, in prayer. Let him strengthen us. I'm thankful for this week, and at the same time, I'm sad to see it come to a close miss the friends when they go and look forward to seeing them again either at another meeting or next year here whichever comes first but I'm thankful for the work that God has done in March this week and as brother Mark said at the beginning of the service I pray that when we leave this place tonight the work is not done yes. but that in the days and weeks ahead God will continue to break hardness of our hearts up and soften us so he can do what he wants to do, so he can continue to do it.
Heavenly Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the message this evening. God, I needed this message, and I believe wholeheartedly there are others here this evening that needed to hear what we heard tonight. Lord, when Job's suffering came to an end, at least the record of the suffering up to the point of the end of this book, he was better than he was in the beginning. And according to God, he was already the best he had. Lord, would you help us to grow to a place like the Apostle Paul was, where he rejoiced in his suffering, knowing that when he was weak, he was strong. Not because he was made strong, but because you were strong in his life. Lord, we need your strength. We need your grace. We need your mercy. Thank you for making them available to us. But Lord, help us to stop, stop trying to be strong in our own strength. But instead, to let you be strong in us. Lord, we pray you'd help us. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here tonight within earshot of my voice that does not know you as their personal Savior, then, Father, I pray they would seek someone out. Brother Mark, myself, my wife, Mrs. Thran, Lord, if if somebody's here tonight and they need to get it settled, I pray that you would put it on their hearts to talk to someone. And Lord, those who are here that are saved, I pray you would accomplish your will in their lives. I thank you and I praise you for all you've done for us. God, we thank you for your precious son, Jesus Christ. Yeah for the precious blood that he shed on Calvary to pay for the sins of all mankind, Lord, so that those who are here that know you as their Savior have that privilege because of the sacrifice that you paid, Amen. the price that you paid, and I thank you for it. Lord, I pray bless each one who's here tonight. Continue to work. Lord, I just pray for your grace. We love you, we praise you, Lord, for all you do.